spirit of inclusion, I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is being recorded today. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Namaste and welcome to the Diaspora Podcast. My name is Akashika and this is episode 4. On today's episode, we talk all things to Ali Kadri, MD for Cladame, CEO of Islamic College of Brisbane, spokesperson for Islamic Council of Queensland, a trailblazing multicultural leader of Australia who is championing for human rights every day. It is through his efforts we can see vital steps in hate crime and hate speech being changed. In this episode, Ali talks about the matters of the imperial dark era, race, religion, conflict, and above all, Ali Khadri's take on family, race, and home. It's an enriching episode, and it is through these conversations we hope together we can change the world and create a bit more peace than conflict. If you're liking this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media. Now let's get this episode started. Welcome to the Diaspora's podcast, Ali Kadri. You need no introduction and thank you so much for your time. How are you? I'm great and thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure. We are really privileged, you know, the person who goes on ABC Drum, ABC Radio and the mainstream media is thank you so much. So how has the pandemic impacted you and um, how are you doing? What has, tell us more about you first and all that you've been up to in this COVID era. Uh, Look, I think uh, it's a tough time for everyone around the world. And uh, I just uh, think about whenever I feel despondent, I try to think about the people who are less fortunate than we are in a lot of other countries around the world, especially the country I was born in, India, and a lot of other countries where people have really struggled much more than have. So, you know, while it has been very difficult for for all everybody in the world, unfortunately, it's more difficult for some than others. And I believe we have been very privileged and lucky in Australia that we have faced this issue. So, you know, as I said, you know, in, the, in these matters, uh, I think we have to think about humanity as a whole, count our blessings. Brilliantly said, Ali Kadri. And uh, frankly speaking, we can never forget the beautiful Queensland we are in. I think uh, our state has done exceptionally well in this pandemic. I'm sure you will agree with me on that. So have there been any introspection, self-revelations and discoveries? And also tell our audience all about who Ali Kadri in his own words is. I mean, look, uh, I'd like to describe myself as uh, somebody who is passionate about justice, equality, freedoms. And uh, uh, in my own time, I guess I'm someone who constantly discovering myself. I, I, there is a reason we are all here on this planet at this and um, introspection helps us improve uh, what we do wherever we are. And I think in this time, I have a lot of self-identifying myself and um, defining my purpose and forward in life. And what have those introspections been all about? How do you think you're going to move forward and being a just equality, a human rights advocate, not 
not now, but for a long time, as we have been seeing you, particularly for the Islamic Council and also for the multicultural Australia, your voice has been a very important, strong voice. Share with us, what, where do you think the future of human rights, equality, dignity of uh, oneness will, look, will I, move from now? I think, look, uh, as far as, um, you know, freedom, human rights, equality, as far as these values are concerned, they're not exclusive to any community, country, nationality, ethnicity, or faith. I think they're universal, and that's why they're called human values, and that's why these rights are called human rights. So, you know, if you're advocating for the rights and values of one, uh, and if you don't advocate for the values and rights of all, then you are doing injustice uh, to to very mission you're on. So, you know, it's very important that uh, if you are, no matter who you are, and what your personal faith is or ethnic background is or your nationality is, it's important that um, when you are out on this mission of equality, justice, freedom, and, and democracy, you actually uh, wish it for everyone. And as far as the introspection is concerned, I always ask my question that in my quest for equality, justice, and freedom, and campaigning against racism, I do not become the oppressor myself or, or biased in any way, shape, or form. And, and that's why, you know, every action I take, every thing I participate in, I make sure that I do not, uh, uh, you know, do the very same thing which I'm fighting against. And to give you an example, I mean, you know, recently I joined um, uh, um, a protest on the, over the weekend for the what's happening to Uyghur minorities in China, what hap- what's happening to Hong Kong uh, people. That's right. You know, that's from- right. Absolutely. And, and, and I uh, asked myself this question that, you know, in doing so, I don't want to turn this into a anti-Asian campaign so you know because if i'm fighting against injustice and oppression in china i don't i can't be part of injustice and racism in australia against asian australians so that is one example of how i i how introspection helps me in not becoming too biased and blind to to you know reality of 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 the risks of turning into what you uh, are actually fighting that's a very balanced perspective ali Kadri. and talking about china's expansionism, the brutal and the invasionism uh, in this uh, era that we live in, particularly with the religious bodies where there are are sources that have confirmed that Ulgiars are actually being used for intense torture and other many things. So, so how does that make you feel? Like you know, we are talking about Australia, of course. Your you you as an Australian or a certain heritage, and then your passion for humanity, that oneness, and for human rights. How do you think this situation can be changed in in this era of expansionism and invasion that uh, one of the aggressive neighbors is up to? Look, I, I'll tell you one thing, though. I mean, uh, you know, uh, these kind of behavior or this kind of behavior is not unique to one particular community or one particular nation. In every nation, every community, uh, at different times, there have been uh, people in power who have used, uh, you know, state power to oppress minorities. Uh, they've used state power to to expand. And, and you know, we, I come from India. And, and as you all know, uh, a golden sparrow as India once was, 
was occupied through by an imperialist power, which was, which was the British Empire. It actually literally robbed it to ruins. Uh, so, you know, the empires have done that. It, you know, we have seen instances of uh, Muslim terrorist groups like ISIS committing crazy atrocities on minorities in Iraq and other places. And China is doing the same. I uh, have some instances of our, our own home country in India where these kind of things have taken place. So, you know, when you are championing human rights, you have to be um, championing it consistently because if you don't, what happens is you risk being seen as a hypocrite, as somebody who is only championing uh, human human rights and 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 you know uh, rights or freedoms or of minorities for a certain group of minorities. Now, having said that, I mean I think it is important, regardless of where you live, uh, to speak out against uh, human rights abuse, no matter where they are taking, because. You know, at the end of the day, I mean, injustice anywhere, in, injustice everywhere. And just because we are lucky to live in a free country where we can express ourselves and express our opinions without fear or, or, or favor, um, doesn't mean that we should be immune and quiet against injustices committed by countries like China. We need to speak out about, against it. We need to be vocal against it, but at the same time, be very careful that we don't generalize it and become the same demon we are trying to fight. Very well said, Ali Kadri, and uh, you're absolutely right, you know. History and uh, prosecution has always showed us many instances, particularly since the 1800s, our own indigenous Australians have undergone genocide, they have been victims of uh, violence, their own lands have been stolen, there has been slavery, genocide. And in saying that, earlier this year, we also heard about the Hazara community of Afghanistan, where being a double minority, as you know, Hazaras uh, is a particular community where they have intense Asian features. So being a double minority there, they have had immense struggles with Pakistan, you know, where, where we had 11 minors executed. So you, you're very right, you know, when we look at our own indigenous culture, the Ugyas, the Hazaras, and everywhere else where there is so much destruction, violence, genocide, bloodbath, everything happening, there is an intense yearning for peace. And it's so beautiful to see you particularly here in Queensland, standing up for all communities, be it standing up for the Lambat, for the Hindus, or the Better Laws for Safer Queensland campaign. So talking about that, tell us a little bit more about the Better Laws for Safer Queensland campaign. It's a grassroots campaign, and that campaign, a coalition of community organizations, uh, with a lot of hardworking and good-hearted individuals, which also includes yourself, uh, uh, coming together to uh, ask for a law reform uh, to be able to combat racism, xenophobia, uh, within Queensland. I mean, just to give you an example of some laws which are uh, causing difficulties, successful process, hate crimes. The fact that if a Queensland police officer charged someone with hate crime offense, they have to get a written permission deputy public prosecutor uh, or public prosecutor to be able to bring those charges. And what happens is, let's say, for example, if a synagogue, mosque, temple or a church is uh, is vandalized by anyone with intention or motivation of hatred, then uh, those instances are investigated as uh, willful damage or damage to property rather than a hate crime. Now, at the end of the year, when the estimates are done, when the calculations are done, you don't have any instance of hate crime, but you have one extra instance of property damage. So, you know, you're not really even able to collect data, let alone prosecute uh, severely the 
perpetrator when it comes to hate crime. So better laws for, for, for safer Queensland or safe Queensland was a, is a campaign, is a current campaign, grassroots campaign um, led by Queen Human Rights Committee and some really well hardworking community members like yourself. All your leadership, Ali Khad, that has been the driving force. And talking about your passion for all these spheres, Tell us about you. Tell us about your story. You have been a migrant. You left India in a very hard time. And when you came to Australia, it was starting from the scratch. So tell us your... Oh, look, I was born in western part of India, Gujarat. Uh, I have a very long and a strong tradition of uh, secularism, which, which is in the fabric of India, I guess, and India as a nation. Uh, I aspire and follow Gandhian ideology and... Uh, Tushar Gandhi, who is Mahatma Gandhi's great-grandson, I consider him one of the elders who I, I reach out to when I need information or when I need to some assurance on the path I'm taking. Now, uh, as we all know that, you know, Gujarat, uh, for all its greatness and for all its good, good people, has had some troubles uh, for, for, for years every now and then. And I was there in 2002, right, when my cousin was murdered. Um, and uh, obviously it has an impact on a young mind uh, being a minority in an era where era of division, social media, where all these things are, are, are constantly, you know, competing for your attention. So I, I went through a phase of myself, which I would like to call a, a very dark chapter of my life where I, I personally was, was full of hatred uh, against the Hindus because of what happened in the riots. And, uh, uh, my father identified it and realized that it's uh, it's not a healthy thing to carry as a human being. And uh, it's important that I get an exposure to the world to realize that, you know, this is not the reality of the world or a community. So I, he sent me to Australia to study, to do my MBA. Uh, again, my father was a well-off man, so I come from a privileged family. But when I came to Australia, obviously as an international student, it's a completely different experience at a very young age, and especially coming after straight after the Gujarat riots of 2002. Uh, it was a difficult time. So it took me a while to settle into Australia. Uh, again, did a lot of introspection, and I am very happy to say that I don't have an ounce or an iota of hatred against anyone um, anymore. And to give you an example, obviously, you know, India is a very diverse and multicultural country. Um, and when I was in the university back there in India, before I came to Australia, I had some friendships, very close friendships with some friends who are of Hindu faith. And um, after the riots, because of the feelings I had, we cut off the friendship. We stopped talking to each other. And it was only two, three years ago when I reached out to him and we both apologized to each other. And uh, it was a beautiful experience, him coming here. His name is Amit. He came to Australia, stayed with us for 15, 20 days, and we both had the best time of our lives, uh, reconnecting again. And, um, you know, just, just the personal journey of hatred to, you know, to the love and care I have and respect I have for different faiths um, is something which is, is, I think, very powerful. And it goes to show that, you know, you cannot let hate define you. If, if you're defined by love, forgiveness, and, and compassion, then that is how you should live your life, no matter who you are. What was the healing experience like, Ali Kadri? You know, this is intense. I mean, seeing a part of your family go and then 
suddenly at a tender age, you know, when uh, most of us are beginning to explore and spread our wings and all of that stuff, you were straight away sent to a whole new world called Australia. What What was that? How did you heal with so much change and so much turmoil ongoing in your life? You know, if you keep an open mind and if you engage and communicate with, you realize that deep down people are good and deep down people are saying you know majority of the people want tranquility and when you engage with people and i think coming to australia was was a very good decision i mean you know coming here to a, a country which which has a lot of people from around the world with different faiths different way of expressing their own individuality even sexualities is a very different experience to a country where although diverse but has got a similar culture so that opened my mind a lot and also you know coming here and and I did my master's of business uh, from Charles Sturt University in Sydney. I, I did a master's of business from James Cook University. And, and then I did a postgraduate qualification in politics and international relations. So, you know, having those qualifications, being able to go to different universities, starting a business at a young age and getting massive success in business. And obviously community has uh, given me opportunities to engage with people at different levels and it has only enhanced and improved me and helped me heal and become a better person I believe so you know the journey is about engaging about self-reflecting about introspection and about growth that's beautiful so Australia is home and you have a family a full-blown family of all multi-faith, multicultural people. Some you can stand, some you can't. But <laughs> but the days go, they move on. So what were those challenges? Did you feel any racism when you moved here? Were you treated like a minority when you were moving around at a point when Australia was perhaps not that broadened? It didn't have that, that broadened vision like what we have today. What was that era like for you? Look, I... I... I have witnessed and experienced racism in different places in India. One thing which I always remember is um, I was 14, 15 years old and was stopped by a policeman who saw my name and seeing a Muslim name. His first response was to me was, uh, what are you doing here? Why don't you go to Pakistan? So, you know, I, I had that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I had that experience in India and then coming here, obviously, you know, one of my jobs while I was working, while I was studying in uni was was a nightclub bouncer and uh, people come in and, and when I kick them out for being too drunk, uh, they come and tell me, you don't come to my country and tell me not to drink. And my response to that was I pulled out my security license and said, look, your country gave me a license to do exactly that. So, you know, I would take it with humor and lighthearted as much as I can. Uh, and that's kind of has been a hallmark of how I engage with uh, trolling, racism, uh, wherever it's possible, because sometimes, you know, it gets aggressive and physical and it's not always possible to do that. But, you know, wherever I can, I, I try and engage with people. So I have I've seen racism. I've experienced it. At, I don't define a nation by action of an individual or individual. Um, I think all nations have good and bad. And I guess you know, Australia is home. It's a beautiful country. It has got its chance. Yes, there is rape, but uh, you know, we as Australians, it's our duty to none of the races spreads and becomes more. Very well said. So do you think today in Australia, race matters? Oh, no, I don't think it matters. I, I don't think it matters. There is some form of racism, even structural racism, 
which makes it hard for some people to progress. But uh, I don't think it matters as much as it did a few years ago, a few decades ago. And uh, I'm very hopeful for the future, uh, which we are all building uh, and contributions which we are making for the growth of our country and our fellow Canadian women. You've seen so much evolve in your life, Ali Kadri. You've seen an immense world, uh, you know, as I say, you know, emerge, being destroyed, people in mayhem and all that stuff. And today, when you look at yourself, to that Ali Kadri, you know, the one that has the X factor, the leadership, you know, the poise, the charisma, um, and is educating uh, so many people from different walks of life, mentoring people, you know, mentoring women, you know, from what I hear. It's it's just incredible. So what's next for you? Politics? <laughs> oh, look, I mean, uh, in the mission I'm on of equality, just building others, you know, democracy, it's a means to an end. And if it, that if that be the case, then so be it. Uh, I mean, uh, politics per se is not good or bad. It's just how you use it and what you uh, defines the the means. So basically, you know, if it comes along the way and if there is a the right time for it, maybe, I don't know, I can't, but uh, that's something if necessary, we'll have to do. But I, I do believe very strongly that uh, Australian parliaments should reflect the diversity there is within the Australian community. Currently, that's not the case. Um, that's not the case in media. That's not the case in the corporate world. That's not the case in a lot of places. Women have done a lot in seeking that equality. And I think uh, the migrant community in a diverse country like Australia should also stand up and do their best to, you know, ask for the equal rights and treatment when it comes to these mainstream pillars of our country. Do you think there is an exclusion factor in the diversity of politics in our country? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, all you have to do is just look at the parliament, no matter what state you are in. It's um, it's a sea of, uh, you know, one particular white face and that's the fact we can't deny it does that reflect the diversity of australia as a nation it does not and it's not a bad thing no matter who represents us they're australian at the end of the day regardless of the color but you know i would love to see the parliament in a democratic country like australia reflect the reality of of the streets and the suburbs of australia that's beautifully said how do you think this can change well, look, it can change by engaging. I think it's a two-way street. I think migrant communities should take more interest in local politics, in how our country is governed. Um, and uh, the people who are in power should not, you know, put barriers in their ways and the structure which which sometimes makes it difficult for diverse community to participate in political activity, activities should also adjust. So I say this to migrant communities all the time, and this is my message. What a local councillor does, so if you're from India and you're more worried about what's happening with Prime Minister Modi or anybody else in India, then you're doing disservice because your councillor and the decision your councillor is going to make is going to be a bigger impact on your life than what the Prime Minister of India is going to make. And if you're from Pakistan, for example, you know what Imran Khan does is not as relevant in your life directly as it is as what your local member of parliament makes. So how much time do we spend thinking and talking about local politics versus how much time we spend thinking and talking about the politics of the lands where which we have left and most likely are not going to return to settle. So, you know, it, we have to have that balance. We have to take interest in the local politics. We have to get engaged. We have to understand what this country is all about. 
um, you know, it's a democracy and, and India is a democracy and we come from a diverse democracy, but all democracies are different. Understand it, participate in it, take interest. And even if you don't end up becoming a politician, at least you will have influence on how your country is shaped, how policies are made and the impact that policy is going to have on your life and the life of your children. Brilliantly said, Ali Khadri. Talking about a world in extended COVID, what do you think the world affairs, our, our relations, the Australian relations today need? Oh, look, I mean, I have always been an advocate of a more interconnected world, a more globalization uh, with equality, of course, because as individual equality is important, so is the, so is the impact. Uh, the equality of nations. So, you know, if we have more of an engaging world where information, people, knowledge, business is easily exchanged, it flows smoothly, then we will create a better world. So I think, um, you know, we need to realize, you know, we are in this together, whether it's climate change, whether it's pandemics, I mean, you know, it's going to affect all of us. So let's try and work out ways to work with each other globally to make sure that, you know, we we avoid the death industry and we heal the planet because that too needs. That's lovely. Talking about the lost history of the diaspora, the Indian diaspora, and also the Southeast Asian uh, history, you know, what, what are the ways, Ali Khadri, through your various hats that you wear, we can have this the lost history evolve and come into the chapters of uh, Australia's history. How do you think we can do this? Oh, I think it's through education. I mean, I, I had a privilege of traveling to Central Australia to some of the camel stations. And some of the names you see with Khan and Singh and Ahmed and other names, which are you know, ethnically South Asian names, uh, and, and the contributions they made with their camels to open inland Australia and lay the telegram lines, uh, can never be wiped off. I mean, from these countries, it is very important that uh, you know it, that's been properly taught. I mean, Australia belongs to the Aboriginal people. It is their land. It was snatched away from them without their permission. But uh, in making what it has become today, there are there are contributions of of many different migrant communities and Indian community and India as a whole, subcontinent as a whole, has played a big role. But that role has not been. Uh, highlighted when we talk about history of Australia. So, you know, I think it's very important that that's been taught, whether it's formally through the schooling system or uh, through, you know, social media or through lecturing or, or through connecting communities together. I think that's something which we do need to talk about. I was personally really amazed when we had the 150th Bapu Peace Drive and I had the opportunity to learn so much of uh, the diversity and inclusion tour that we got at your Holland Park Mosque. I was amazed by the history that so many people uh, from Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, ages back had come and set up this beautiful mosque there. So, so you know, talking about our own um, South Asian identity, do you think there is pride in, there's still that pride of where we've come from, how far we've come, and who we are today as Australians? I think, of course. I mean, you know, I think we are lucky to be Australian. It's given a lot to a lot of, and uh, regardless of where we, we have all made, and I think what is more important, recognize, identify, and work together, because I always say this, you know, regardless of where you come from, the contributions you're going to make are going to make everybody better. So, you know, incumbent on us to make sure that we contribute to this country 
because um, if we all just think about taking, 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 and nobody's giving, won't, there won't be much left for, for any of us. Very well said. In uh, 2012 or two, I, I could be wrong with this date, please help me with this, Ali. Uh, there was a publication that you wrote about in Korea Mail. It said, biggest threat to peace is not Islam, but irrational fear. Please share with us what exactly that was all about. Look, uh, irrational fear, or as it's called, Islamophobia, is the biggest, biggest fear because uh, what I have realized interactions with some radical Muslim and reading literature by Muslim terrorists is that they thrive upon the fear some Muslims have about losing identity and losing land. Uh, and uh, from when I engage with right-wing extremists and Islamophobes, uh, I, I, I have realized that they are afraid too. So it's that fear which is fueling the hatred on both sides. And it's not the faith or lack of it, or it's not the nationality or the color of the skin. It's the fear of the unknown which drives this division. So if we want to really conquer these divisions, then we have to come across, we have to come across that bridge and communicate and address each other's fear. Because, uh, you know, without one, another will not survive. And I think they both thrive on that fear. So no matter where you go in the world, you will see that the conflicts are a result of, of these negative emotions of fear and anger and frustration and so on and so forth. And I think if they are properly addressed, then people as human beings can come together and, and uh, create a better world or a better country. Brilliantly said. I One of my favorite poet and spiritual gurus is Baba Bulisha. And, you know, there's a beautiful verse from his, one of his poems. Uh, it's, it's in Punjabi. Mm-hmm. And it says, Chal bulia, chal othe chaliye, jithe sare aane. Chal bulia, chal othe chaliye, jithe sare aane. Na koi saadi jat pechane, na koi saanu maane. I really hope through your efforts, and through all the beautiful work that you are extending in Australia as an Australian, I really hope there are some drops in the ocean of peace and we continue to further. Now, before we end this call, there yep. are some rapid fire questions on popular demand that have come sure. that I would like to have a yarn with you about. So what's your favorite one liner? It's, it's not, I've thought a lot about it. It's not a one line. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll go a little longer, right? So I once read okay. that, uh, that uh, tact is a way to tell someone to go to hell in such a way that they enjoy the trip. <laughs> I think I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you reading these days? Do you, you know, uh, literature, um, yes. science? I'm reading a couple of, I'm actually, I'm a, I'm a listener of books. So I have Audible and I, I listen to books. So I have, um, I'm reading two books. I'm reading Contour of World Economy by Angus Madison. So it's a wow. very interesting book on, on the economic history of the world. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm reading another interesting book on health. It's called How Not to Die. Oh, amazing. That's like a real pause of wisdom coming through, coming through my ears, uh, you know, so I, I must uh, introspect. So what's your favorite dish, butter chicken or? Uh, you won't believe it. So my favorite dish is not Indian, it's German. It's Egg Benedict. Oh my God, really? (laughs) Fantastic. Truly a multicultural connoisseur. So how do you stay focused and sharp? Like, you know, it's almost 9 p.m. My brain has fried, but you are spot on with everything. How do you stay focused? Oh, look, it's uh, it's, uh, taking time out in my day every now. Sit down and and have some. So I do take 
constant two, five minute breaks every two, three hours where I just sit and do a bit of, uh, you know, mindfulness, a prayer, I, I pray as a Muslim. And I think I use that as a, as an opportunity to c- cut all the noise out, focus for a few minutes, then come back and go at it again. Sick. And your message for the world. Messages, we are all in this together. And uh, I think, you know, if we realize this sooner, it will be better for life is we are all on ship. Thank you so much for joining us at the Diaspora podcast. Such a delight to have a beautiful yarn with you.